Truth about inflation. It's not just about money. Narrator Jenny Lin. Inflation is increasing, and in response, the media regurgitates the apologetic of monetary policy. Monetary policy pictures inflation as an agent in government standing at the printing press with the machine turned to its top speed. In other words, monetary policy is considered to be just a case of a government printing too much money. Perhaps a silly idea, but one that enabled private interests to take the privilege of printing money away from the state and put it in the private hands of bankers. And they have virtually no limits on how much money they can create and profit from. The gaslighting of monetarists resulted the problem being compacted into an aphorism. Inflation is, say monetarists, too much money chasing too few goods. There is little point in disputing the claim. The claim has been debunked enough times to prove more is going on than simple economic confusion about how money works. Of course, as with all lies, there is a kernel of truth in the monetarist's position. If a table is being sold at auction, and the bidders decide they want the table at any cost, the amount it will sell for will bear no relationship to supply, manufacturing cost, or even mental competency. However, to simply dismiss inflation as the work of unmonitored printing of money is misleading. Inflation as a superfluidity of money does not do justice to the facts. Kyle Rittenhouse could have been a white supremacist, racist, and neo-Nazi and the people he shot might actually have been black, it would no mean he did not act in a legal and justified manner. Even Nazis have the right to defend their life from unprovoked assaults by multiple assailants. To illustrate the problem in more detail, assume the government's printing press was turned off. The government begins to burn what it considers to be surplus supplies of money. In short order, the money supply is reduced by 80%. In this scenario, $1 might purchase a week's supply of groceries. We might even get prices down to where they were in the 1,800s, when a worker was happy to make a dollar a day. Inflation has been eliminated. We are in a state of deflation. Have people's lives improved any? What would not change is productivity. If it took 100 people to make one car in one minute with inflation at 7.5%, it would still take 100 people to make one car in one minute when deflation was occurring. In other words, the money supply is an issue and an irritation, but it is not the crucial issue. In simple terms, what matters is how many people in your family are working at gainful jobs. People understood this in the 1800s. Subsistence farmers understand that if there are five mouths, there are ten hands. Ten hands are needed to feed five mouths. We can simplify this even more. A baker bakes a pie. He tells his customers that a piece of pie will cost them a cup of blueberries. Ten people each want a slice. But the pie only has six slices. The baker decides to sell the six slices for two cups of blueberries each. This is inflation if the blueberries exist and if the buyers are willing to pay two cups of blueberries per slice, then the economy is suffering from inflation. 
Adding more blueberries does not increase the number of slices of pie. Reducing the blueberries available reduces how many cups of blueberries can be given for the pie. But regardless of how many or how few blueberries there are, there is only six slices of pie. In other words, altering the blueberry supply does nothing to change the real problem, which is 11 people all wanting a piece of a six-slice product. It might be a good time to note, reducing or increasing inflation will not feed more people if the supply of food is inadequate. The solution to inflation is to ignore it and deal with the real problem. Inflation is caused by too many mouths and too few hands, or at least too few hands that are working to feed the mouths. This means we need to deal with the problem of an imbalance between hungry mouths and busy hands. We exist in the natural world, but we cannot live in nature. Those who try it do not fare well. Everything in nature is a raw material. As raw material, all commodities needs to be processed. How much we process these raw materials is up to us, but the fact is, work must be pumped into the system along with the commodities if we are to have goods and services to distribute. If we were all farmers, we would not need to trade with one another, because we would be duplicating each other's products. There has to be granularity in the economy. At minimum, one farmer needs to have a better type of pig, kind of apple, or better bearing corn or some commodity that is preferred, at least in the local market, to what others have. More reasons for trade will exist if one farmer turns to making tools and equipment. For example, John Deere started his farm equipment business when he realized what problems prairie farmers were having with plows designed for European soils. A farmer's wife who bakes for those who are less skilled at baking can also increase the propensity to trade. The more work added to a commodity and the more specialized the labor, the greater the propensity for economic activity. This individualization of what is otherwise a common good is called specialization. All economic activity and progress is created by specialized activity applied to the resources of nature. Man works on assets created by nature to transform them into specialized goods and services. If nature cannot be consumed directly, then any modification that has demand attached or a propensity to be valued will increase the propensity to trade. We have to create things with value, and the only way to do this is to add value through specialized work. This being said, the only way to encourage trade to the highest level is to stop parasitism. Inflation is a form of parasitism. This is why it is harmful. If a person, in this scenario, referred to as a banker, is permitted to create a voucher that permits the bearer to claim one slice of pie or other commodity, the pie with six slices will be reduced to a pie with five slices. The bearer of the voucher will claim one slice for himself. What is more problematical? is that the maker of the voucher can sell the voucher for one cup of blueberries. The printer of the voucher gets a cup of blueberries, the buyer of the voucher gets a piece of pie, and the baker gets no berries for the pie the bearer of the voucher claims. Now, we can admire the inventor of this scam. Getting people to take pieces of paper for real goods and services is as brilliant a sting as is possible to conceive.
Fiat and bank money are an incredibly bold and clever device for divesting people of real property. The apologists of monetary policy will retort that the pie man not out one piece of pie. He has the voucher which can now be used to get two cups of blueberries. This is the equivalent of the price of a piece of pie. And indeed, the baker does use the voucher to obtain two cups of berries. This move transfers his loss to someone else. Now one or two vouchers may not impose a serious loss on a nation's economy, but if there is a systematic and persistent introduction of vouchers into the economy, more and more property will be transferred to the ones issuing the vouchers. More and more people will see the profit in dealing with vouchers rather than baking or growing blueberries. If the percentage of persons getting goods and services through the use of vouchers increases the price of goods and services will rise. This is inflation and it is the measure of the rate that the economy is being robbed of real property. Think of a very small, almost insignificant robber who is so small and so weak he can only rob you of a tiny fraction of your wealth each year. That is inflation. But is not the introduction of a voucher system a boon to the economy? It is to the extent that if two people are coming to the baker and taking two pieces of pies, he can now increase production and sell two pies where before he was only selling one. But what is he getting for his work? It is the increased demand in an economy in which the demand is not from an exchange of different kinds of goods and services, but an increase in demand from people who do not produce anything that adds to the capital of the economy. Inflation is increasing demand from unproductive scam artists. Now the astute monetarists will argue that trading blueberries for pie slices is complicated and troublesome, but what if the owner of a pig wishes to trade his pig for a slice of pie? How is such exchanges to be made? The pig owner to get vouchers for a pie could go to a voucher printer and ask for 300 pie vouchers for his pig. The pig being worth 500 pie slices is still only worth 300 vouchers. The issuer of vouchers keeps the other 200 as compensation. These 200 vouchers are issued as bacon vouchers or perhaps yacht vouchers. Now the pig farmer can take a voucher and get a slice of pie. This appears to make the economic exchange of goods and services more efficient. The vouchers increase the propensity for trade. But let me ask you this, if the pie man baked a pie and the pie had six slices, why did not those who wanted a slice of pie not give the pie man a voucher based on something they produced, say blueberries? They keep the blueberries, but get the pie they want. If the pie man wants blueberries, he can use the voucher to get berries. If he wants bacon, he can use the voucher to get bacon and the pig farmer can use the voucher to get a pie slice. If the members of a political jurisdiction decided to form a trading zone, the pie man would be compensated for baking a pie. The vouchers would be issued as units of value. 15 units of value would represent one hour of work. If raising a pig takes a total of 500 hours, the pig farmer would receive 500x 15 units of value for his pig. All work is compensated with units of value or credits. When these units are spent, they turn into debts. 
The credits are removed from the value units held and transferred to the person who sells what the buyer is buying as units earned. If a person makes something of value and someone wishes to buy it, he gets paid at POS. Those who add value are credited the value he or she creates. When value is consumed their account is debited the value of the goods or services consumed. This system is similar to the one in which a dedicated agent issues voucher. The difference is no one is paid to produce vouchers, known as currency, and no one is using vouchers to make claims against the goods and services created by others. The one creating the voucher or units of value are the ones who produces real property with real value. Thus there is no parasitism and without people taking without creating something of value, there is no inflation.